I'm Caddy. I'm Bailey. I'm Eunice. And I'm Teffer. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah. yeah. We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands that we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today, and every day, to reflect on your relationship with the land that you live on and the indigenous communities of the area. This week, we are carrying on our merry way of our nostalgic and upsetting reread of The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants by Anne Brasheres. 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 <laughs> so this week, we are reading the last of the original series, Forever in Blue, The Fourth Summer of the Sisterhood. Next week, we will be reading Sisterhood Everlasting, which is about when they are grown-ups. And then we'll be doing an episode on the movies, so you're not done hearing about this yet, but this is the last of the books of the teens, of the sisterhoods, <laughs> of the pants. Caddy, what is the title in French? Four Girls in a Jeans, The Last Summer. Donc, quatre filles en jean, le dernier été. So, I felt better about this one than I have ones in the past. Temperature check. Bailey, how did you feel about this one comparatively? I definitely think this one, this one has things that are very strong about it. Um, it also has things that make me mad and it has storylines that I think are just kind of boring. So I feel 20 degrees Celsius about this one. <laughs> Which I, I think is about, I can't convert. 70-something. In it's the like 70s, 70 it's like the, the temperature you keep a house. It's like perfectly yeah. comfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Bailey, are the things that make you mad the fact that the girls wear pants? <laughs> no! Oh, boy. <laughs> I support women's right to wear pants. Not what you said last week. Just trying to keep the story straight. Uh, Eunice, how did you feel on this one? Um, so remember in the first episode when you said, I think they get better as the books go on. It's been haunting me, yes. Um, maybe that set me maybe that set me up for high expectations and they were not met. I just have to say I did I could not believe that Tibby's storyline was just that. The whole book. And I have thoughts about that. Like why was that the entire book? The entire summer, it was her and in her dorm room with pregnancy anxiety. <laughs> like, that was her storyline this summer. It really does feel like each book has had a storyline of somebody freaking out about sex, except for Carmen. Because she's spicy yeah. and ethnic and, like, rounds. So she's, like, all about the, the lower desires. <laughs> 
You know, yeah. like she's grotesque. Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, Eunice and Bailey, I agree with you entirely. Um, but I also realized that um, there might be a reason why this book was less painful. One, the characters are older. And two, we just read mm-hmm. three of them. Um, and it's the last one. So you kind of go like, all right, like we're going big or going home. And I mean, obviously, it went mediocre. I'd like to say like a, a good, like medium, medium steak kind of temperature. That's my, yeah. that's my temperature meter. So I had like a slightly different experience, I think, in that I went into this with my expectations just just below the floor. I mean, I had no expectations. I was going into, because I have been so disenchanted <laughs> by this read through. That I went into this going, this is going to be so bad. And I remembered elements of some of the storylines and I was like, not going to be good. And I was pleasantly surprised by a few storylines. I was pleasantly surprised by Carmen's storyline, which I actually didn't remember as, um, as as empowering as it is. Um, and I really, I actually really enjoyed uh, Lena's storyline in this one. I thought Lena's storyline was really, really good. And I have some things to say about that. But even Bridget's, which I know we're going to talk about quite a lot, even Bridget's was handled better than I remembered. It's still, like constant caveat, it's still not handled well, particularly well. But it is not nearly as bad as I remembered. And I think there is actually accountability for the people who should be held accountable. And I also still continue to resonate with a lot of B's emotional landscape. Tibby's storyline, yeah, that that was just like... It was kind of nice that the worst storyline was not one about a young girl getting taken advantage of sexually by an older man this time. Like... Like, I would say, like, the second worst storyline was about that, but, like, it wasn't the worst one, at least. Yeah. Timmy's is just boring, and it's also, like, very, like, it's almost the same as the one in the last book, also. Yeah, I feel like maybe she just ran out of things to do with Tibby. And, like, it's, like, the characters kind of stayed the same. Um, and then it's just like a new situation that you put her into and then she reacts the same way and doesn't really learn anything. So like not convinced that she learned anything from this, like whatever she went through this time around. And like, I don't know if it's just me, but like, how can you spend that long? Just like, I like, cause I totally get what, um, Amber Shears was trying to do with the storyline, right? It was to show, like, to be trying to grow in her, like, relationships, communicating, like, that she, like, can love and be loved or whatever. <laughs> but, like, she did that thing, she did that thing again where, like, somebody has sex and then there's a consequence and, like, it's just, I can't believe you had sex and then you deserve this consequence kind of thing. She used that, like, trope again to do it. So it was just like, I don't know. I feel like we saw that happen so many times in the other books that it was like, oh, great. It was now it's Tibby's turn and cool. (laughs) Um, But also the thing about it was like, it feels like for the whole like series, like 
I feel like they were all written as 18 year olds this whole time. And then this one felt like she was 14 again. <laughs> and I was like, no, like this is a very like 14 year old. I don't know anything about sex. I don't know anything about women's bodies. I don't know anything like, like it just seemed really odd to me that that's just, that was the storyline. Yeah, big agree on that. I hate when sex is bad. Uh, and not Amen. in the sense of like, you know, horrible sexual experiences, but when like sex is used as a way to show that like you are not enough of an adult yet or anything. And I spent most of Tibby's storyline just being, I was rooting for Brian the whole time. He was just, he was my bud. I was like, Go, Brian. Be happy, no matter what, because that character he has a lot of emotional maturity that his girlfriend does not really possess. Yeah. And it also made me think that Tibby was turning into her mother, mm. which made mm. me really uncomfortable because she's too young to, to be hitting that threshold already. Yeah, I guess like a filmmaking character, when like the, the main characteristic of the character is that she does things not that she is a certain type of way like she can only make mm -hmm. so many movies you know uh, and have it yeah. be interesting for us so so yeah but mm -hmm. um the pregnancy question was it was uh, like i rolled my eyes through it I, I dearly dearly did it was not great and she didn't even make a movie like the fact no. that mm -hmm. this whole storyline ends with her taking an incomplete like she doesn't even have the emotional breakthrough that she's had in her other creative mm -hmm. storylines her storyline is just more Tibby treating Brian like shit and Brian who's supposed to be seen as a wonderful partner because he just takes it and it's extremely mm -hmm. uncomfortable to me especially because we know that Brian has an abusive home life mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's not gotten into very much frankly this book would have been much more interesting if it had maybe gotten into Brian's abusive home life a little bit instead of just being more of Tibby being like Oh, I don't have feelings and I have to just treat people like shit because I'm emotionally constipated um, again. <laughs> but I was really uncomfortable with it because, I mean, we've talked about sort of glamorizing and romanticizing abusive dynamics. And quite frankly, the writing of Tibby and Brian's relationship glamorizes an abusive dynamic where Tibby uses Brian, discards him as soon as she doesn't need him around anymore or doesn't isn't getting what she wants from him, and he just waits around for her. And I think it's really disappointing that in this book we have kind of a, a an idea of Brian doing something on his own and no longer just being codependent on this girl he met when he was, what, like 13, 14? But then it's, oh, but we were always meant to be. And I'm especially uncomfortable with this. I mean, we can talk about this more next week, but with knowing what comes later in their storyline, it makes me extremely uncomfortable. Because we mm. got to see Brian, like the thing with Brian is that Tibby is the only one who sees him as like a loser because she met him making her succumentary. She met him in a format where she was setting up to mock him. And... Tibby never unlearns that 
Tibby only like she sees other people being like you know Brian's really hot you know Brian's really kind you know like Brian is a gem you know Brian is like your little siblings adore him because he's gone out of his way to have a relationship with your family because he understands family is important even if you don't and he's using up all his money to come visit her all the time and he just deserves better and we don't see him get better we just see other people appreciating him, Tibby discarding him, and that's romance. And then Effie. <laughs> Should we talk about maybe Carmen? Sure. I think her storyline was, reading it again was fun. Yeah. Because was- uh, being a theater nerd, it was very easy to go back to that fun place of like, theater situations, yay. But holy moly, it's Carmen set up to be like just the sad, fat, frumpy, ethnic child. Like, wow, wow, mm-hmm. wow, wow, wow. It just mm-hmm. hurts. Cause yeah. like the first half of her, her storyline, you're just of her arc, you're just kind of like, oh dear lord. Like, we know that you're supposed to be all spicy and exciting. And I, I'm sorry for using the word spicy. It's not, um, it really is kind of how she's described in yeah. the book. So, it's super crummy that like she gets the story of like you were super hot shit and now we're gonna drag you through the mud and make you work for it because if you want to be an actress you have to suffer first and you you can't have your friends are not your friends your friends are your enemies at all time and you have to be hyper vigilant because really carmen ultimately your father left you when you were a child and no one will ever love you you know and like and and it just it was sad i was like she she left on higher notes in the in the previous books like there was she's such a character that's steeped in agency like she does things she makes stuff Mm -hmm. happen for herself and like while maybe it was like a depressive storyline or whatever but it did not like i just it tasted awful in my mouth Mm mm-hmm yeah, I absolutely agree. I It made me think of, like, how um, the characters are supposed to, like, grow and progress. And I was wondering if, like, it almost seems very inconsistent with, like, her character. Like, the trajectory of her character. Um, I was just, like, some for some reason, like, I totally understand, like, going to a new place and then becoming, like not sure of who you are and becoming like depressed because of it like i get that as a thing that you can go through but it just seems like like too out of left field for me for carmen it's just like doesn't really match like with how she has been progressing in the books and it just seems like oh we're just gonna give like carmen this like really sad storyline and like of her like overcoming these things that like it wasn't probably a problem for her anyway in the to begin with um and yeah and there's like something weird about like how she becomes so passive all of a sudden and like just there's just like this like too much of a shift like i just like couldn't i didn't really believe it 
Yeah, there are like parts of the storyline with Carmen that I like, but I agree that it does not make sense with her character. Like, it, and it doesn't make sense with how the last book ends either and like what she's supposed to. We picked up on this with Tibby too. Like, I feel like they're supposed to like learn things. In, but like, it feels like what Carmen was supposed to have learned in the previous book then just like went out the window or something like that. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really. The setup does not make sense um, and does not feel like very believable with Carmen. Like, I would have believed this storyline better about like Tibby or somebody. <laughs> I would have believed like Tibby getting into like an abusive friendship dynamic at college much better than I would believe this setup of Carmen. I was 100% about to say it's a Tibby storyline that she just put on Carmen. Um, It really is. And yeah, I agree. I mean, Carmen doesn't really fit the victim profile for abusers. Like, Carmen is very confident. Carmen loves her friends and feels very secure in her friendships and doesn't have time for other people. Um, The other thing I noticed, (laughs) so we talked about how Bridget gained 15 pounds (laughs) in the second book and in this book we have it very casually mentioned that Carmen gained 17 pounds but instead of Carmen losing herself and it being this tragedy and I mean it does say that it took away her woman of colorness somehow like it does say that it made her pale and starchy and like less Puerto oh. Rican which is a uh, <laughs> oh boy oh, oh, oh yeah um, but like I definitely noticed the difference between how weight gain is treated as something catastrophic for the white girl and as something that's just a matter of course for the brown girl and I didn't like that it was bad (laughs) it was it wasn't great it wasn't she deserved better and I mean I get the whole narrative of Carmen's perception of home shifting and I think that that is something that 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 is kind of the silver lining in this it's that her notion of home changes changes from where to when when was home mm-hmm. um and and i get it like carmen's being handed a really raw deal by like her mom moving into this huge house with this man and and the brother and the this and the that but it's like She's not being parented through this. I get it. She's 18, whatever. But she wasn't being parented much in the previous books either. Mm -hmm. Her dad basically just signs a check. Like, I mean, there is no support for this poor character. Bridget's dad was even better than Mm. Carmen's parents. Jeez. I will say, though, I do want to say that while I really don't like the way the story started for Carmen, I do really like where it went. And I did really enjoy seeing Carmen discover an innate talent and Mm -hmm. discover her star and impress the hell out of professional actors and, you know, be on stage. And I also really appreciated Carmen finding the thing that she's good at and loves and goes on for it to be her career finding it like I mean quote unquote later like it's not actually later in life she's 18 (laughs) but like we have 
we have Tibby, who has always made movies, and Lena, who has always done art, and Bridget, who has always played soccer, and Carmen, who has always done everything for everybody else without complaining. And Mm -hmm. um, it was very satisfying to see Carmen. Mm -hmm. It It was nice to see Carmen shine and be the center of attention and not be in a supporting mm-hmm. role. Although I really love the image that Caddy painted during our first episode of Carmen as the stage manager butch, or f- stage manager femme, rather, um, mm. which is also something I can see and appreciate. Yeah, I really I really like that. And I especially like like the, the idea of sort of like falling sideways into like figuring out that you're good at something. Because yeah, we have in the other girls these very distinct storylines of like, they have known since birth that they were meant to do this thing and that they were really good at it. And then Carmen, you know, has lots of things that she's good at, but doesn't have sort of like one thing that she knows that she wants to do. And it's sort of a like, accidental discovery of it and I think that that meshes a lot more with how a lot of people figure out what they want to do with their lives than the like I have known this forever so I like that we get to see that with her I do have to say that like I think Caddy was trying to say this earlier too where it it just bothers me that it has to be the person of color who has to like go through the storyline it's just like, oh, like, why does she have to be the one who has to, like, struggle through this and then, like, find herself, like, instead of, like, her having the, like, innate ability from beginning? Um, it just seemed like, it's just, like, the way this character was written. I just, like, can't get over the fact that it was, like, like all of those, like, stereotypes, like, compounding in this one character and, like, the development of the characters just like things things that just feel like it was more of an afterthought than like an actual careful construction of a character so that's like my real gripe with it I think because I just can't get over that like and that writing of the of Carmen Mm -hmm. thank you for thanks for 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 saying that Eunice that's like exactly it I think ultimately what it comes down to after like four of these, right? It's this idea of like, these characters are so rigid. They fit Mm. such boxes. And like, even like, if you think of other series, like you think of like Sex and the City, I think like that's, I saw that on social media recently. So I was like, ooh, great example. These characters evolve. They transform. They're, 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 you know, the box that they fit kind of becomes shapeless and sort of kind of adapts and and that's what makes us attached to characters whereas here it's like the world is telling them hey your box your box should be changing like you don't have to just be the this person the spicy one or you don't just have to be an athlete who knows maybe Bridget is smart maybe Bridget is uh, I don't know anything else maybe maybe karma can like it's just the goal is as much as possible to like make these characters fit mm-hmm. so that like it almost feels like the message to readers is who you were when you were 16 is who you will be for the rest of your life and if that was the case i would be a garbage um but you know like it, it, it's just it makes no sense and i don't know you know it's my second time reading this and as an adult and i'm like wow I don't know that this is the most 
the friendliest thing to to give you know young women I think there's like there's two things that have come up from what Eunice and Caddy just said so I'm going to address them <laughs> in the order that they were said but the first thing is Eunice when you were talking I was thinking like oh yeah why do we have to have this storyline for Carmen? Well, because from the beginning, we have Lena as an artist, Bridget as a soccer player, Tibby as a movie maker, and Carmen is Latina. <laughs> <laughs> and and then, you know, at some point, Amber Shares realized that Latina is not a career and had to <laughs> figure out somewhere else to go with that, right? <laughs> um... So that's how we ended up with that storyline. And I just lost it. The other thing, so, okay, this can kind of, like, segue us into Bridget's storyline a little bit, actually. Because I do think it's interesting. Now, this is by no means the focus of the storyline, because Bridget's storylines have to revolve around guys because she is a blonde. But, um... (laughs) Shots fired. But Bridget is at least like on an archaeological dig really engaging with the work and really engaging with the material we never see anything about that again but she is (laughs) but she is at least not playing soccer and like finding something that is interesting to her and it's not just cute boys I Bridget's storyline makes me so mad for multiple reasons. Partly because I think there are some like good and like I love the whole like yeah Bridget discovers archaeology and likes it. Even the like storyline about like I am upset that my boyfriend made summer plans without consulting me about them and I think he doesn't love me anymore and I'm having a lot of feelings about that. They could have taken that in interesting directions that weren't almost sleeping with her professor that is ten years older than her. Like. I just it makes me again it's a recycled storyline from a previous book um, and it just like the fact that Amber Shares wants to keep doing this to Bridget makes me mad but also that like she also wants to keep putting the responsibility for Bridget essentially being preyed on by older men who are in authority positions over her on Bridget just like makes me so angry yeah and just like the role that's kind of like she has to take on to bring her family together too like the two like who happen to be men right like in her family like i don't actually know if like this is a reoccurring thing because i don't really remember i i didn't really do a deep read of the past two books i just listened to the podcast but (laughs) for the recap um so i don't know if like perry comes out like at all for like anything but it really just feels like oh like remember perry (laughs) like remember like remember bridget has a twin like remember and like oh remember bridget has a home life that you know like kind of affects like what she does with like other men that are not her family like it's like that like that they that she kind of like threw that on top of the whole like summer experience like where she goes home and she's like now i need to fix my family like like that did not seem really organically done and also like not a great thing for her to realize like it's because it's like definitely not on her 
like just because she's the one who's like a little bit more like put together bubbly or like outgoing or like you know like it's not on her to bring the family together and like that whole like where she's like having them all make dinner I was just like oh my gosh I don't see this like there's where's this gonna go like Perry needs help but Perry needs a mom yeah like and I guess since his mom was depressed and is no longer in the picture his twin sister should be his mommy like I mean there is something particular about like the two men that she should be the closest to hating her or or seeming to hate her quite so much and this like Mm -hmm. you know the 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 very first interaction with Perry who like we don't see in the other books at all like the first interaction is very much of this like hello I am ignoring you go away bye kind of thing and this apathy and and I get the depression angle I totally deeply and personally relate to it but putting the responsibility of managing a family on the shoulders of an 18 year old is absolutely redonkulous having a 28 year old professor in turkey redonkulous anyone who's been in academia knows no way he's 30 oh i'm so sorry he's 30 imagine having a career when you're 30 (sighs) no (laughs) the next book's gonna be fun for that too oh my god you know like there's there's this idea of like the the uh, everything around bridget and i think that because of you know previous experiences with the movies i can see blake lively as i read it and it's incredibly mm-hmm. annoying because i'm like she's funny she's she's a human you know like let her be let her not like there's this burden of beauty mm. that her character has and it's there to make us feel like pretty women should be or pretty humans should basically feel terrible for attracted attracting so much unwanted attention and it's like I don't know the way Bridget is written in this one it's almost like we're supposed to hate her mm. and I think it might be mm. through the whole series that we're not supposed to like Bridget it, like it feels like maybe Anne Brachers or Brachares, um has maybe like a vendetta against a Bridget like maybe a Bridget picked on her in high mm. school or something but mm. there's there's not a lot that makes me empathize. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. Ooh. That just appeared. Sorry. Sorry, Bridget. <laughs> I. I empathize quite a lot with Bridget. Sorry, Tefra. No, no, no. I. I. Um. I am not offended. I think it's fun. I. I agree that she's written in a way that you're not supposed to like. And the parts of her that I empathize with are parts of myself that I have held a lot of shame about in the past. Um, And in the past, that I still hold a lot of shame about. Healing is a process. Um, Okay, so where I want to address the family thing first. And then I'm going to get into the, like, boy crazy label because I, Eunice is nodding. I... (laughs) resonate with this um but the first one uh the family thing okay yes Bridget what Bridget learns from having a flirtation because frankly like the other thing is that she freaks the fuck out over what is at its heart a flirtation one kiss and then a oh this isn't a good idea 
So like, first of all, not a catastrophe, not a huge catastrophe. Second of all, her professor, they talk about their families and he mentions his kids and she's like, oh shit, he has kids. This is like a different situation than I thought. He's not like a TA, right? And um, like TAs are a gray area. And like, um, then she meets his family and that makes it very real for her and she feels very ashamed for flirting with him and like ripping up a family. But her response to recognizing his responsibility towards his family is to go, I also have a responsibility towards my family. And to go and act as though she has the same responsibility to her father and her brother as this man has to his wife and two small children. And that is just not analogous in the least. And, I mean, we just trashed Perry, but, like, let's talk about Bridget's dad. Oof. You know? Like, I know we've talked about Bridget's dad before, but Perry, okay, he's terribly depressed. Should Bridget have to be, like, putting this labor in? Absolutely not. But ultimately, he's also a depressed 18-year-old, and the person who's responsible to his recovery is his father. And his father has allowed himself to get so sucked in by depression as well that he is not parenting his children and he's not being there for his family. And it's really painful to see Bridget see another irresponsible father. And one part that I really like about the way Peter's character is written is that at one point Anne like takes the time to say Bridget knows that he is going to do this again. He apologizes. He says, I'm so sorry. You're so intoxicating, whatever. And Bridget is just like, Anne, you're going to do this again next summer with some other girl and maybe you'll stop and maybe you won't. And, you know, we know that this is something that's going to be cyclical for him. The shittiness of choosing to take a dig in Turkey over your 30th birthday when you're not going to see your small children, because like we don't get the sense that he had to take this dig. We take the sense that he chose to take this dig as an adventure. So like some people shouldn't stay married is what I'm saying here. (laughs) (laughs) But um, because I also think that if we got into it, there's like a powerful case to be made for non-monogamy in the entire Bridget storyline, because some of us cannot keep track of people existing when we don't see them every day and there's nothing wrong with that it's just you know possible that traditional monogamy doesn't work for you if you're one of those people who when you are in another context cannot remember any of the relationships you have at home it also might be trauma (laughs) but that applies for Bridget as well (laughs) now on to the point about empathy (laughs) (laughs) or I'll stop and I'll let other people say um well it's actually I kind of already said what I was gonna say but basically like I am very crush prone I'm very romantic in my heart as a teenager uh, I was exhausting and exhausted with like how many crushes on so many people and like literally everybody teachers people my sister's boyfriends you name it just like everybody in the world and um felt quite a lot of shame about that and still do at times and like my response to that was to just repress my romanticism really 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 hard and like (laughs) make a lot of very bad relationship choices based off of like what's the most practical option where my feelings are not sweeping me away and instead of the obvious one which is be single it chose get married but that's a different story for another time but like I like Bridget's character because she has a different kind of like crushing and romanticism than like Lena who has the one true love forever right 
Bridget is a little more distracted. She's a little more unfocused. She's a little bit more, ooh, there's a hot guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase it. And, like, I relate to that. And I like seeing that written. It's nice to see that written. Um, it could be portrayed more sympathetically. But I do know that reading Bridget's storyline, even on this read-through, just her being like, how am I supposed to remember that I have a boyfriend when we're not talking regularly? He didn't tell me about his plans. And, like, we're doing different things. I don't know. I don't really feel like this is a relationship. I get that. I get that. Not everybody is Lena who can pine for four years <laughs> for somebody who she gets a letter from every two weeks. We're not all built like that. I mean, like, I'm not saying I can't pine. I can pine with the best of them, but I'm going to pine with, like, 15 other crushes on the side. So I just appreciate it, is what I'm saying. So speaking of Lena, should we talk about Lena before we <laughs> Yes, let's talk about Lena swiftly. Mm-hmm. Because she actually has a good storyline. Lena actually has a genuinely good storyline that I'm not mad at. Yeah. Like, can we talk about how we've had very many shitty representations of having sex for the first time? And Mm -hmm. I really like that we also get this. um, Where, you know, it is a choice. It is not part of a serious relationship. And that is not a bad thing. And um, it's just like, she was ready. She felt like doing it. It was good cool someone made a good painting (laughs) (laughs) oh and who doesn't want to be a muse right (laughs) um yeah i'm i feel like i remember reading this in this book in particular in in high school probably high school um and like being like why are they doing this to Lena's character she's supposed to just be fighting over causes and like what is happening like why did we have this interlude <laughs> um because i'm the opposite of tepper in that like just give me a good pining story like i will pine with the rest of them <laughs> and i'm like how could she like not wait for him and like you know like that was me in high school and still is kind of um let's be real (laughs) there's a reason why second chance romances are my favorite (laughs) um but it's just like the drama and the pining um and loving from afar that says a lot about me um but yeah so like but (laughs) but knowing like reading this again as an adult and reading like all the different like iterations of like relationships and like and like having sex for the first time I do have to give credit to this storyline and and the whole like leaving it open-ended and leaving it so like and making it realistic that like yeah sometimes like you just miss the boat sometimes you just the timing doesn't work out and then you're also free to do whatever like as you like wait or not wait right like um and that that's way more realistic and like that i would have to say is really well done and feels more like an area of growth for Lena too, right? Like when we're talking about like character growth and how they are, like the trajectory of their storyline, like this seems like good, healthy, like growth that you see 
and that's really nice to to see that. Hmm. I do like that. Um. Yeah. I I agree with all of this, and actually don't have anything to add about Lena. She's kind of. She is the most realistic of all the characters in my eyes, which is odd. But yeah, uh, it's nice. I, she has nice growth. And uh, I like her relationship with her sister. Mm. I really, I, I, I do like the Effie chaotic ball of, I don't know. I picture her like Janice from Friends almost. Like, she's just very annoying yeah. um, and very stompy. Um, but I like their relationship. I like, I like, uh, yeah, just that, the kinship. And the realization that sisterhood through pants and sisterhood through, you know, shared blood is is same same but different. Mm-hmm. I think is the the best way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, I feel like I have to touch on Effie quickly because I've been saying throughout, I love Effie, and Effie is going to get her storyline, and she does in this one. And I really love seeing her just her big hearted chaos. Um, <laughs> get recognized and acknowledged and appreciated i related to her very hard as the uh busty chaotic younger sister of a like quiet reserved very beautiful older sister (laughs) and um and so i remember getting this to this point and just being like yes like you go effie get it girl like yes do this for us And I I maintain, like, I think Effie is still the character who I uh, relate to the most, even though I relate to little bits of all the other characters. Just like, yeah, she's chaotic. She's flirtatious. She's here for a good time. She likes frappuccinos and pink wrap dresses, and she's not going to apologize for it. Um, I kind of love the way her boobs operate as a metaphor for that, too. Um, like, I, 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 boob metaphors are so often mishandled, but I actually think this one was well done. Can we? That was funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I want to just echo my agreement. The only thing I really have to add is like echoing my agreement that like this is such a good storyline for the first time having sex. And I really, really think there's something to be said for firsts being with casual relationships who make you feel comfortable and like much less of the emotional overload. I think like especially we were taught at least I was taught that like your first time should be special your first time should be special your first time should be with someone you love your first time should be with like someone who have you you have a soul connection with and like a few of my firsts quote-unquote were with like my best quote-unquote firsts were the ones that were with people I was seeing casually who made me feel comfortable and I I really think there's something to like taking the pressure off and just being like we're exploring we're having fun no biggie. Well, with the concept of virginity being so complex and so tied to this idea, particularly for 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 women, uh, this idea of a gift mm. being given, right? That that's the that's the script of virginity for women, and and it's terrible because whoa, what do you mean I'm giving you something? Shouldn't I be enjoying some of this or reaping the rewards of mm. like? giving the gifts like 
I don't know. There's 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 definitely something there, but yeah, for sure. Uh, yay, a positive sex experience, uh, especially contrasted with Tibby's. Yeah, I think maybe Lena's storyline made Tibby's look even bleaker. I think that might be it, also. Mm-hmm. Okay, but is this revolutionary? Because we have the one storyline where you have sex for the first time with the person you've loved for years, and it's terrible. And then you have your other storyline where you have sex for the first time with a hot artist who respects you, but is only here for a good time, not a long time. But if I do say There's a so. clear agenda. <laughs> one had sex for the other yeah. and one had sex for herself. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. the that's the big, you know, where's the motivation coming from? Right? That that scene where Tibby and Brian hook up and you just kind of go like, "Oh, I'm not 100% sure that they discussed this. It feels kind of like a whoops, I have penetrated you kind of moment." Um as opposed to Lena where like she's taking the reins and yeah. she has agency and she's making active choices. So mm-hmm. Yeah. That actually reminded me, and I didn't, I forgot to mention this when we were talking about Tibby and Brian, but I don't think there's consent. No. There's no, there's no like big yes. No, there's not. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. pressure. There's a lot of, well, okay. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it kind of makes sense why there's so much bleakness afterwards because it's not a consensual sexual encounter. But, like, ah! It's again, it's one of these things, it like reminds me a little bit of like the bleak Bridget storyline in book two. Whereas it's like, there's actually like, if you read deeper, there's like reasons for that to be there because like she was taken advantage of by someone in a position of authority over her who was like three years older than her. But it's not actually portrayed as that. So it mm-hmm. comes off as just like mm-hmm. she had sex and now she's a yeah. disaster. <laughs> and same, like, there was, this was not very consensual and you even have to be talking about like well he never pressures me he just pleads a lot which is a kind of pressure yeah and also she's drunk and also yeah um so it's not portrayed as this was a non-consensual situation but But it it is. is and if you read it that way yeah oh did i just get off my team brian horse (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think we can agree that codependency makes people shitty, even when they're, like, people who also do sweet things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I dragged us back down into the muck when we were having such a good time. <laughs> the muck is where we do our best work, Teffer. Amen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I think we gotta wrap it up. It's getting late. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. hey, we made it through. Are you excited to jump forward in time next week? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least it will be actually women's sex mm-hmm. next week. <laughs> but I don't think there's even any sex scenes, so what's the point? Oh. But also, it'll be interesting to revisit next book in light of this theory of Ember Shares just doesn't know what to do with Tibby. Uh, oh my god, oh. I'm gonna have so much! Yes. 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 Okay. <laughs> Sorry that I went there. Uh, yeah. No, 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 we're we're going no. there. We're going there. Also, I mean, it's that's gonna- why 
That's why I brought it up. <laughs> I'm like, there is a trajectory here. Yep. We will discuss. We will discuss. Oh, boy. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyappodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at yappodcast and individually, I'm at the Balesosaurus. I'm on Instagram um, at the Unicorn Reads a Book. That's Unicorn with an E. I'm at Caddy double underscore D on Twitter, single underscore on Instagram. And I'm everywhere at Teffer Bear. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yeahpodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons, Catherine Reshi, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Sean Paul Thomas, Maddie Dever, Megan Jane, Emily Patton, and Emmett Cameron. We have merch. We do. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Public. You can also always support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe a friend you want to have sex with? (laughs) (laughs) A professor? Nope. <laughs> Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Pepper Jemian and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upbird Network. You can find out all of the great shows on our network at upbirdnetwork.com. Tune in next week for uh, what's bound to be great, <laughs> great <laughs> hilarity and screaming. Excellent Bye-bye. content. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm October Jones. Hi, and this I'm is- Fish with Legs. I'm a fish with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water. And I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs. Starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends and go on adventures and get captured a lot and escape a lot and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends and authoritarianism and colonialism and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- for adults and kids. (sighs) New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's it. Bye! If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite, where do babies come from, or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast, helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids.
available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else.